Hello, and welcome to Flip Side of the Coin, the podcast where we take an issue, maybe political, cultural, or inconsequential, and we present a reasonable, viable argument for one side, and then the next week we do the same for the other side of the issue. Have you ever talked to someone and asked yourself, how could they possibly think that? In today's world, it can be hard to understand why some people may take a certain position on an issue, especially one that we feel strongly about. It's not uncommon, especially in today's climate, for emotions to run high when discussions turn into debates and viewpoints are challenged. Here, we aim to provide a place to help you understand and hear opposing views on these issues without the feeling the need to defend yourself or to argue back. We want you to be able to listen to a viewpoint that you may not agree with, and we want to provide a place for you to listen to it and consider it without feeling the need to put up your walls and defend yourself. Let's get into it. When discussing political opinions, one of the key differences between conservative and progressive voices boils down to this one question. Is it better to have a strong federal or centralized government or a stronger state or a more decentralized government? Many political debates and issues stem from this concept as a basis, and understanding this particular question will help build a basis for understanding the viewpoints of many political issues and debates within the United States today. Today, we will be taking the position that it's preferable to have a decentralized government. We will be walking through some of the key points that people who hold this view value and walking through the reasoning and the thought process behind this position. This argument dates back to the founding of the United States and the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. To set the stage, during the American Revolution, the U.S. Congress ratified a document called the Articles of Confederation. This was what was used as the Constitution of the United States until the Constitution that we have today was ratified and replaced it in 1789. The Articles of Confederation favored a weak central government, allowing the colonies to govern themselves for the most part and to utilize the federal government mainly to manage currency, the postal service, foreign affairs, and war powers. All this was managed in a single congressional body with two representatives from each colony or state. As time went on, the United States began to grow as a nation, and they realized the Articles of Confederation were not sufficient for the management of the new country. So the states met in what we call the Constitutional Convention, which was held in Philadelphia in 1787 and produced the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified in 1788 and adopted in 1789. For those of you who remember your high school history class or got really into Hamilton, you will remember that when drafting the Constitution of the United States in the 1780s, there were two groups that emerged, Federalists and Anti-Federalists. Federalists were led by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. Their view was that a strong central government, a federal government, hence the name Federalists, was the best route for the young nation, and we'll get into them more next week. Anti-Federalists were led by the likes of Thomas Jefferson, the second president of the United States and the original author of the Declaration of Independence, Patrick Henry, who famously said, give me liberty or give me death, and George Mason, who pushed for the Bill of Rights as he argued that the original Constitution left much too much opportunity for the federal government to abuse its power. Remember, the United States had just finished fighting a war against the British Crown, one of the strongest central governments in the world at the time. The main position of the Anti-Federalists 
was that a strong central government would put the U.S. on the path to end up exactly where they had just fought so hard to get away from. Therefore, to keep the U.S. from repeating the same mistakes and injustices, they wanted a smaller central government with the main powers of governance left to the individual states. Today, proponents of a smaller government share many of the same views and concerns that the anti-federalists had in the 1780s, and we will be referencing these early Americans who held this viewpoint a lot in today's episode because the ideals and concerns that they had act as a reference point for many people who share that view today. We're going to break down the arguments for a decentralized government into two main points, the prevention of tyranny and tailored governance. There are a couple aspects to this debate, the strong central government versus state governments and the big government, which is to say more government and small government, which would mean less government involvement in day-to-day affairs. And today we're limiting our discussion to whether it is better to have a strong centralized government or a more decentralized government. We'll get into whether it is better or not to have more government power another time. So, to start, let's begin with the prevention of tyranny. Tyranny is a word that gets thrown around a lot. So to clarify it for our conversation today, tyranny refers to a governing person or a small group of persons that are unrestrained by the law and have taken total control of the government without any sort of accountability. In the case of many early Americans, the idea that the British government was making decisions that did not benefit the American people And in fact, many of those decisions made life measurably more difficult or expensive for the people with little or no benefit to them. Many Americans felt that their voice was not being heard by the government and that they were powerless to make any change to their situation short of using the means of force. As a result, during and after the war, they felt that a government should answer to the people and not be able to make these sweeping changes or decisions without the voice of the citizens. As a result, a more local government was preferred. Remember, the United States is huge. Great Britain, which includes England, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, is about 90,000 square miles in area, which is approximately the size of Oregon, which is the ninth largest state in landmass. The United States is the fourth largest country in the world, with Russia being the first, followed by Canada, and then China as third. There is a lot of ground to cover, and it is made up of 50 states and uh, 14 territories. Each of these states and territories has their own culture, climate, and economy that bring their own specific needs to the table. The U.S. is also the country that has the third largest population in the world with a population of nearly 340 million. India and China are the most populated countries in the world, with about 1.4 billion each. And remember, each state is generally the size and population of their own small country, and the United States has 50 of them. During and after the American Revolution, many Americans were particularly leery of a strong centralized governing power. In their view... Their needs had been ignored by a king who lived thousands of miles away and had never even been to where they lived. As a fun fact, the first time a British member of the royal family visited the United States was in 1860. 
Given that the king was that far removed from them, the question they had was, how could a king who was so disconnected from the people and the land make good governing decisions that would benefit the people living there? As we mentioned earlier, the U.S. has 50 states and over 14 territories. Proponents of a decentralized government will point out that across the states, there's a lot of diversity. For example, Iowa has an economy where the biggest revenue drivers are life insurance, farming supplies, and agriculture, specifically corn. It has a population of 3.1 million people, averaging about 55 people per square mile for population density. New Jersey, on the other hand, is more industrialized, with its main industries being financial services, transportation and logistics, life sciences, pharmaceuticals, and advanced manufacturing. New Jersey is smaller in area than Iowa, but has a population of 9.3 million and a population density of over 1,000 people per square mile. These states are very different, and their needs and people are very different. As such, it would make sense that a central government that is over everything would have a very challenging time making policies that would benefit people in both these places, hypothetically. In a scenario with a strong federal government, should a tax on corn growth and exports be presented as a new bill, the people of Iowa would be negatively and very directly affected, while New Jersey would stand to benefit with little to no cost on their end. Inversely, should the same bill be presented except instead of taxing corn, they want to tax pharmaceuticals, then Iowa would stand to benefit, and New Jersey is now footing the bill. Proponents of a more decentralized government would say that the people of these states would benefit from a government that is tied directly to the state, rather than a government trying to govern all these states at the same time. Now, there are some notable assumptions being made in this position. The first assumption is that a more decentralized government will understand the people and the community better and be able to respond to situations and issues more efficiently and effectively because the leaders of those states would, in fact, be locals. The leaders of the states would be more well acquainted with the culture, economy, and challenges of their respective state. But this would only be effective if the leaders from these states actually come from the states and are not professional politicians who move to a specific state with the goal of getting elected there. Another assumption made here is that tyranny is less likely to happen in a decentralized government because of checks and balances that would be inherent in a decentralized system. Because state government is smaller than the federal government, and with 50 states all working together under a wider federal umbrella, remember, decentralized means more power to the states, but there is still a smaller, weaker federal government that they all fall under. And the assumption here is that because there would be so many states working together with a stronger, more localized governing bodies, then there would be more checks and balances in the system to keep local, state, and federal leaders from becoming tyrants. One of the main highlights of a decentralized government, for people who support it, is that it allows the state to be more autonomous and to forge its own policies and future without having to rely or make concessions with other states with whom they do not share very much in common. A state can create their own economic incentives based on their specific situation, tailored to benefit their communities and people. Leaders would generally come from local communities, 
and share a cultural and regional identity with their constituents and allow for a shaping of the state with less interference or oversight from a larger government that is far away and doesn't share their regional or cultural identity or priorities. The other goal of a more decentralized government is that the state government or local government has the final say in whatever happens in their community, rather than a federal government which could be thousands of miles away and have more focused on other priorities. The idea here is that a local government is in a better position to solve for the problems of the people more effectively and efficiently than a larger governing body that is over a much bigger population and area. One of the things that makes the United States so unique in the world is that such a large country with so many people has been able to not only remain intact, but to flourish and to become one of the world's superpowers. However, with that comes the challenge of governing each state. And as we mentioned before, there are 50 of them, and each one is essentially the size of a small country. Proponents of a decentralized government assert that allowing the states to govern themselves with more autonomy is the most beneficial pathway for the American people, as a state's government is more localized and better equipped to tailor policy to the people of that state and to do so in a timely and efficient manner. This is especially true when those in state government are from the communities that they are governing, and they are more familiar with the and understanding to the challenges and people that they are working for, because it's their home and their community that they're shaping policy for. This is why those who prefer a decentralized government view this option as the best and most beneficial model of government for the American people. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this opportunity to listen to the other side of an issue has maybe helped you see those who take that position with a little more humanity and understanding. Join us next week when we will explore the view that a stronger federal government is more beneficial model for governance of the American people. We'll catch you on the flip side.